Good morning, Dunbar family. So good to be with you this morning. Good morning. Um, my name is Dave. If you don't know me already, uh, I get to lead our youth and young adults here. And it's my joy to be bringing you uh, God's Word today. Uh, it's so good to dig into God's Word together. Now, right now, uh, as you may or may not know, we're in what's called an origin series, the origin story. Now, um, I'm personally a fan of the origin story, whether it's like uh, a Marvel or Star Wars kind of one, or even a personal one. Um, I love to know where either a character comes from or a real-life person, obviously, comes from. And I think one of the reasons I love history podcasts, I'm one of those guys, I like history podcasts so much is because I love to know where it's all from. How did Julius Caesar become Julius Caesar? Or, you know, what are the origins of the First or Second World Wars? Now, origin stories are really cool, my own parents actually did a DNA test recently. I don't know if you've heard of these things. Um, and there's even like a TV show that has celebrities on it. Have you seen this? And they're like, bring the celebrities out. And they're like, and you are actually in the same ancestry as Kim Kardashian. They're like, no, whatever. <laughs> but here's the thing. I've never done one of those DNA tests. I've never done one. But because my parents did, because my parents did, when I know their story, I actually know my story as well, my history. Now, like a few weeks ago, Pastor West looked at us with the origins of who we are, made in the image of God. But we can also look, and I get the wonderful task, of looking at the sad image of, of the brokenness, how that was ruined and devastated because of selfishness and separation from God. Now, our earliest origins are all in Adam and Eve, both the, the beautiful ones and also the very sad ones. And so today, we're going to look at the origin story of sin and separation from God in this family of Adam, but the amazing transformation from that brokenness into the free gift of God in our new family origin story in Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to look at two passages that tell the story, and then just like a piece of the story of the nature, the sin nature of our first family in Adam, the sin and separation. But then we'll look at the nature and character of our new origin story in the salvation in Jesus Christ. And all along, I want to consider what's the impact? What's the impact of sin and separation in Adam, but also how much better and more is the impact of the work of Christ on the cross for us? So I'm going to read uh, two excerpts from Genesis and from Romans. So I'd invite you now to open up your Bibles, your Bible apps, and turn to Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning of your Bible, maybe first or second page. And when you find it, would you stand with me as I read from this passage and also from Romans chapter 5? Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. 
You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you hidden, eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now from Romans 5, 12 to 16. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life life, through the one man, Jesus Christ? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. First, we're going to look at the origin and, and nature of sin. This distortion, this deception, especially of desire, this domain of the devil. As we looked at in weeks previously, Adam and Eve, just like Adam and Eve, humankind is made in the image of God, right? Made to reflect the character and nature of our good, good God. Now, God created us in his good order, out of dust made us to know him and to love him and to walk with him. But the nature of our sin ruins this. In Genesis 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. He didn't say that. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here we have this this snake, 
who is Satan in kind of serpent form. And most of us know snakes don't talk. So this is more than just an animal, right? And we're not going to dwell on this, but what the Bible does say about Satan is that he is the original liar, deceiver. He is a spiritual being meant as all created beings to worship and obey God. Now, it isn't explained, but somehow, instead, pride and evil become fixed in the devil and the demonic. Now, this devil, the Satan, approaches Eve with deception and distorted intention, distorted questions. And at the core, we hear lies, questioning the truth of the goodness and love and rule of the Lord God. Did God really say, and notice he left out Lord God, did God really say, you will be like God, you will not certainly die? Do you hear it? And he didn't say Lord God, Lord kind of being the one who rules, right? By these rebellious questions and crafty wording, Satan does what Bible scholar Bruce Swalke says, and he calls subverting obedience. So instead of obeying God, they obey the serpent. As they listen and trust those words, this distorts in the minds of Adam and Eve the boundaries that God placed on them for their good. So their desire, and notice it's their desire, their heart, their desire becomes for themselves to choose good and evil, for themselves to choose what they should and should not obey, for themselves, not the Lord God who made them. Listen to verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom or skill, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who is with her and he ate it. Not only does this distorted desire lead them to disobey, but everything is inverted. From God's order, God's good rule over Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, so you have Adam loving and protecting Eve, both of them watching over the creatures. But instead, Eve is convinced by the serpent creature. Adam does nothing to lead anyone to God's order. But both of their desires are deceived and distorted. And so God's good, right, and clear boundaries are broken. Okay, but what might that mean for us? Even now, okay, that's a story long ago, right? This deception and distortion of desire, this nature of sin, what does that mean for us? Well, in our passage in Romans, it says this, sin entered the world by one man. That, that would be Adam, right? And that all sinned. Ooh, that would be us. This distorted act of desire, this distorted heart of desire is sin. And we too inherit this distorted heart. The Apostle Paul says a bit earlier in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible teaches us that this is our story too. Their origin 
is our origin. Their origin is our spiritual origin. Their flawed hearts, distorted by desire, belong to us too. Their rejection of the leadership and lordship of God, rejection of his boundaries, rejection of his true wisdom, that belongs to us too. Now, as I say this, some of you need no convincing of this. You look at your own heart, and you know those dark places. You can see your own motivations can be tainted and, and, and full of pride and selfishness. You can see the sin nature and selfish nature all around you. Now, in, in Youth Alpha this week, we asked the question, hey, where do you see selfishness and sin around you in the world? And there was a lot of conversation because there is so much, so many examples. They're like, hello, high school, right? Now, others of us may need to ask those deeper questions. Is, is it true that my heart is deceived and distorted? Well, I'm supposed to follow my heart. That doesn't sound like what I should be doing. How might I rebel and reject the lordship of God? And we might think, well, you know, I'm, I'm not so bad. I'm not so bad. Maybe I'm fine, right? But one of the problems with sin is that like Adam and Eve, we too make excuses. Oh, she made me do it. Or God, it's actually your fault because you gave her to me, right? Or no, no, I was tricked. It wasn't my fault, right? Sin is this distorted affection and desire for ourself, but it's also self-deception. It's also self-deception. Now, may we, we may agree that there, okay, there is some sin, there is some distortion in my heart, but is it so bad? What is the impact? What is the consequence of this sin? What's the impact of rejecting God, this distorted mind and heart and action? And here in this passage, we can see that it is destruction and death. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It is a destruction of intimate security a destruction of relationships. Their personal integrity was destroyed in this moment. They could no longer trust each other or feel safe and vulnerable. That's what being naked, exposed, and feeling totally safe to becoming deeply distrustful, covering themselves and who they are, hiding from one another in pretty much every way. I don't know if this sounds familiar, because we are a culture that seems to hide from one another quite a bit. Now, as a, as a foster parent, I see over and over and over again the consequences of sin, selfishness, distortion. Because of people and places that should be totally safe and secure become sources of trauma and fear and uncertainty, especially for the most vulnerable the impact of sin is so destructive. And there are many things that God speaks about in this passage. Let me just highlight this. In verse 17, speaking to Eve, 
Your desire will be for your husband, but he, and he will rule over you. Just this little glimpse of relational conflict, of marriage conflict. That's the consequence. Broken relationships between those meant to be as one. Destruction in the ways we listen to each other and care for one another. Lead the family and desire to serve one another rather than rule ourselves. I don't think I'm wrong when I could say all of us have been impacted by broken relationships. Maybe betrayal, maybe manipulation, maybe just even the fear of being hurt. So yes, sin impacts their relationships with one another, with creation, but most importantly, with the Lord God himself. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. Now, just listen to this beautiful picture. The Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. They hide from God. They fear the one who made them for himself. As he walked in the very breath and spirit of the day, in the midst of this place of life, what do they have? It's fear. It's fear. And so, in verse 23, the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. There's judgment. They could no longer be in the space where heaven and earth meet the presence of a holy God in a broken relationship with God. This divide that is unfixable by us. And what that becomes is death. Death is the brutal consequence of sin. Adam, well, speaking to Adam, he says this in verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Humankind is taken from this lifeless dust, and God breathed life into Adam physically and spiritually. And so the consequence of sin, the culmination of sin is his death. And the Bible puts it this way in Romans 6, just a few verses later from our own passage. The wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin, the culmination of sin is death. And yes, physically, because obviously we die, but also spiritually. This is the end result of our distorted desire for ourselves, the rejection and destruction of our relationship with God and one another and of all creation. And not only death, but you see, death now rules. It reigns over us, this realm of darkness and the devil. And if death rules, then we are its slaves. And I suspect you've felt the weight of death. Maybe death of a loved one. Maybe a fear of death. I've certainly experienced the, these things, for sure. But the Bible declares the impact of sin is destruction and death and judgment. But that's not the end of the story for the one who looks to Jesus. We have a better story. We have a story that is so much better. So, so much better. 
And now, after we've kind of dwelt in that really dark place and a bit of a downer, yes, I know, we can start to move on to the nature of the rescue from death and judgment, the nature and origin of salvation. Oh, yes. I love a good story. I love a good story. Now, I love any good story. I, I love the Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you know that one. Uh, and you think as a youth pastor, I'm going to get an illustration from Lord of the Rings. I'm not, but I'm just saying, I love a good story. I'm actually re revisiting the Lord of the Rings. It's just, oh, so great. You know, so many great characters and adventure. I'm always looking for a really good story, whether it's fiction or in real life. I, I don't know about some of you, it's being an Olympic year. Don't you know those stories when they tell like, this athlete started from nothing and then they overcame great odds and they became that. And you're like, yes, this is great. You know, some, you know, famous person like, oh, Mark McMorris, like he's an awesome, you know, snowboarder or whatever. Or some random like figure skater you've never heard of. You're like, yes, they're on my team. They're an Olympic athlete. It's like great stories. So I, I personally, that's just, I'm a sucker for a good story. And as a youth guy, I'm always asking the youth, Hey, what games are you playing or what books are you reading? What books are you reading? And I often get hooked on the same good stories as them. Now, a bunch of years ago now, a bunch of years ago, uh, my youth told me about this Percy Jackson. I was like, who's that? So I was like, all right, I'll check this out. I'll check this out. So then I read one. I was like, oh, this is good. I kept reading and reading. And I did find a pretty good story about this group of kids becoming heroes and like fighting monsters and stuff. And I, I pretty much, I think, read all of them. So even years ago, it was a pretty popular story and to this day, right? And they made a few movies. Now, I don't like being a negative person, but uh, those movies, they didn't really tell a good story. They didn't tell that story very well. They didn't tell that story very well. And it wasn't quite right. It just didn't sit right with me. It seemed a bit like false and distorted representation of who I thought Percy Jackson was, right? Now, fast forward to now. They've actually remade this story for TV. So I'm like, I like this story. So I'm a bit nervous. I'm a bit nervous, right? Uh, are they going to mess it up? Are they going to distort it again? I really like this story, right? I, I, just, just some of you don't know Percy Jackson, but some of you know when there's a story that you really like and you're like, oh, they're making a movie of it. You're like, oh no, they're going to ruin it, right? So probably think of that. Just think that's how I was feeling, right? So I was watching this interview with the author, with the author who actually became really involved in this remake. He was sharing that he was actually able to more directly be involved to help choose actors and sets and pace that better reflects his vision. And yeah, so they made season one. And yes, I do like this TV version much better because it tells a much better story. So friends, as we're leaving this Genesis 3 really kind of sad and dark account, I just want to point out that we can actually trace some of the origins of our salvation in our first worst story of sin. God actually seeks out, notice this, God actually seeks out those who disbelieved him and rejected him with the dignity of questions to draw them out of hiding. Where are you? Oh, that's, that's grace. They didn't deserve that. 
And notice how the Lord speaks to Adam and Eve, but speaks at the enemy. The Lord God curses Satan, the serpent, and gives no room, no excuses for the evil one, but instead plants the seeds of the gospel, his salvation, in the offspring, the seed of Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.15 says this, speaking to Satan, this seed will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the promise of an end. A promised seed, a son come who will deal the crushing end to evil, the end to the serpent and sin. This is the nature of the gospel story. Hope, this promised future seed, this Messiah, who is Jesus. So as we enter into this story of salvation, this so much better story than deception, distortion, and destruction and death, the gospel story is God's story that saves Adam and Eve and those in the family of sin and separation. And as we enter into Romans chapter 5, listen to these verses. Starting at verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sin, verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned, as I said, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a type or pattern of the one to come, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So yes, sin is the means to humanity's condemnation and death through Adam. Yes, death ruled, reigned as king. But... There's a better story, a so much better story. And it comes by the gift of God's grace. God's grace is unmerited favor in the work of Jesus Christ shed blood on the cross. His infinitely valuable death for your death. His infinitely valuable righteous goodness, his rightness with God for our sin and relational destruction, forgiveness. And we can see the story of rescue from sin and death in the much better story of salvation. So be encouraged, friends, be encouraged that not only the sin of Adam, but all the sin that has ever been, all the death that could ever reign cannot hold a candle to the better, greater, second Adam, Jesus. The gift that God is offering in Jesus is so much better. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of man's, one man's sin. Oh, God's good and gracious gift comes to us as we trust in the gift in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. 
And sure, friends, that deathly destructive power reaches all the way to us, and we can feel it, even as Christians. Yes, we can feel it. It presses in on us. But there is something far greater about God bestowing His gift of grace to us in the very Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear this language. Overflowing, extra abundantly, extravagantly, excessively, gloriously to us. <laughs> That's the language that God uses. So who wouldn't want a gift they don't deserve from God himself? An unmerited, undeserved gift. Who wouldn't want it? Well, maybe for some of us, we don't know what this gift would mean. So what is the impact, the result of this gracious gift to us? What is the impact of salvation? Ooh, the result is just so good. Verse 16, nor can the gift be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift that followed many trespasses and brought justification, justification, righteousness, now being made right with God. The reverse of the curse. No more condemnation and judgment and separation between us and God. Guilt and shame, that sort of fear and nakedness and hiding. No more guilt and shame. They've been taken by Jesus' death on the cross. And with the cross, we have an even better, more gracious gift of walking with the Lord God in the cool of the day. That's the forgiveness, the coolness, sweetness of forgiveness. And if we are to trust in Jesus, we are given this rightness that we were made for, that we were created for, that we were always meant for. And here in this passage, we can see that this gift is maybe even better and greater than we could have imagined in our old life without God. Remember, death reigns and rules us. Slaves to sin and death and the devil, to deception and brokenness. That's the world we live in, darkness. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now rule and reign in life with Him. We can walk the path of eternal life. Verse 17, For if by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness, listen to this, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. How much more, how much more for those who receive? How, how will we respond to this? To this how much more better story. A story of life from death. A story of light from darkness. A story of condemnation and brokenness and separation from God. To forgiveness. And this eternal life and the joy and hope that we have in Christ. How will you respond 
to this gift of the greater second Adam, the Lord and Savior, Messiah Jesus. Now, I was talking about Percy Jackson. I'm going to talk about Percy Jackson again. In the, the same interview uh, with this book author, I was really amazed at why he wrote the adventure story with kids as heroes. The author's name is Rick, explained that he actually started out as a bedtime story. You know that? Now, now he was telling the story to his son, who he loved so much, but his son was really struggling with ADHD and dyslexia and some real brokenness in relationships and struggles. And Percy, in the story, actually reflected his son who was struggling with ADHD and dyslexia. And Rick wrote the book to show his son a better story. That he could do amazing things and live a life full of goodness and doing the right, even hard things, and perhaps even be heroic. He told the story to his son whom he loved because he wanted a better story for him. You see, our Lord God is the author of the greatest story. A story that all who would receive the gift of grace, the invitation to right relationship, can reject the hold of sin and Satan, Adam's story, and reign in life. Not just live, but reign in life. How do you want to respond? Do you want to be with Jesus as he rules and reigns and come alongside and rule and reign with him in life? How might you want to respond? Could it be to, to, to receive this life, this eternal life out of darkness and death, maybe for the first time? To say yes to the gift that God is giving you a new life as a Christian, as a Christ follower, freedom from the rule and grip of sin and death, of forgiveness. Would you want to receive this life? Maybe, maybe you want to respond by thanking God for that gift. Perhaps you know this good and gracious gift, that you do have life because of the cross of Jesus his death on the cross, has shed blood for you. But maybe, just maybe, it's become a little bit stale in your heart. Perhaps today is, is a great day to repent or to turn your heart back to thankfulness to God for this gift. Perhaps your response is you've heard the story again and again and it's in your heart and you want to share this so much better story with this darkened world which you, you long to know this greater story. You know this story, but perhaps you've hidden it a bit or you're hiding a little bit, just like our first parents. Perhaps today's the day to start that journey of stepping out into the abundant provision and protection and presence of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Share the story even if it costs you, even if it costs you just as it did the Lord Jesus himself. Share the story. Maybe you're not quite sure this is a better story. 
you're in that place. Perhaps today is a day to think about it and to ask questions. Do you notice the Lord himself loves to ask questions? Join the Lord God and ask questions to investigate, to consider what it might mean to have this life that only Jesus can give. So friends, as we move towards communion, to receive these gifts, the body and blood of Jesus, how do you wish to respond today, to receive maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time, to repent, give thanks and praise to God, to move towards sharing and communicating this good, good, good story. Or perhaps today is a day to think. Think about it and ask your questions to God. So I invite you to a time of silence to respond to the so, so, so much better story, knowing the origin of our sin, the nature of salvation. Let me just say a quick prayer, especially for those who may want to receive this gift for the first time. Heavenly Father, we hear this message of the so much better story. And Lord, perhaps you've moved in our hearts to receive the grace, the gift of coming from death to life, from darkness to light, from brokenness and sin and separation to restored, forgiven beautiful relationship with you eternally. So Lord, for those of us who would receive this, perhaps even for the first time, we open up our hearts and say yes. Come Lord Jesus, give us that life.